Not too sure if you know, but there's a show called The Voice. Not Johnny Farnham. Right? It's a show called The Voice, and it's, it's basically set up... I don't mind watching it every so often, because I think it's hilarious. But they have certain judges, and their chairs are facing the opposite direction. And the singer comes on, and he, do, he or she will sing their heart out. And whether or not the judges think they're worthy enough to be in the competition, they turn their chair. And it's all about taking away perception, taking away your certain senses that might affect how you judge something. Sometimes what happens is when you take one of your senses away, another one or another two will be heightened. Have you ever talked to a blind person before? That'll be Jesus. If you ever talk to a blind person before, they will say they have really good hearing. And they can hear from a very long distance and they can hear just about everything. So don't try and whisper around a blind person. They will hear it. And it's because obviously they've lost one of their senses, but their other senses are compensating for their loss. And so that's what the voice is based off. It's based off taking away sight, taking away the concept of what someone might look like, or what someone might perceive you might be like, and relying on hearing in order to be making the judgment of whether or not you should be in the competition. It's interesting watching it and, and listening to some of the judges' feedbacks and, and stuff like that. And obviously, these days with TV, you have different sound qualities and different things. So trying to understand exactly what the judges are looking for and listen or should hearing for can sometimes be interesting. But it's, it's interesting that when you start taking away one of your senses, other ones start piping up. If you're unaware of what senses you have, you have sight, you have taste, you have touch, you have smell, and you have hearing. I dare you to try it. Put a blindfold on and see if you can hear better. If you ever want to taste food, right, put a blindfold on. Smell the food, then put it in your mouth and see if your senses will be heightened rather than your sight. One of the things, if you didn't know, I'm a, I'm a chef by trade before I uh, gave all that up. And one of the things we were taught is if a meal looks good, if a meal looks presentable, if the meal looks appetizing, you've won 90% of the battle. Then you add in some nice little smells and you're one over. Food is always done by sight and by smell. And then taste comes into it. Remove some of your senses, remove sight, remove smell, that can be a little bit difficult, and taste the food to see what it really tastes like. Have you ever seen those competitions where they, um, they blindfold someone? I know it's a common thing done in like youth camps or kids' camps or, or fun activities, maybe some staff retreats or, or teaching and stuff like that. And they blindfold someone and they have to try and guess what the food is. And a lot of the time they get it wrong. And the reason why they get it wrong is because they've judged food on basically their sight. And when they've eaten food with their sight rather than their full taste buds, they haven't quite understood the actual flavour of the food. 
So by removing one of them, you actually begin to understand what the flavour really is. It's just an interesting little thing. And that's what, the, that's what that whole game show was all about. So now I've just spoiled it, right? So there's no point in looking a certain way. It's all about how you sound. It's probably one of the purest singing shows besides all the deals are done in the background and all the, uh, the biasy and that thing, but the purity in the concept is there. So I'm continuing on my series of the cloud of witnesses. This time I'm going to take out, I'm going to look at John the Baptist. John the Baptist, as we lead into Christmas, is a pivotal point for Christmas. He's an interesting character. And not much is actually known about John the Baptist, besides what we understand or what we can read in the Bible. He's an interesting character because he's the cousin of Jesus. Well, half-cousin. And there's an encounter before his even birth, because he is actually older than Jesus, or was older than Jesus, depending on how you want to look at it. There's an encounter when his mother Elizabeth walks into the room with Mary and the Bible says that John, or at one point in time, the child leaped in her belly. That's a nice little thought, isn't it, when you're leaping? I remember when when Mel was pregnant. um, There were a couple of times, especially in the the last trimester, uh, there was one time actually when her her stomach, because we have twins, looked a little bit odd-shaped. Like, normally, mothers, it's sort of like a round thing, right? Well, this one looked... Uh. <laughs> it was actually kind of freaky, actually. But there was one time I can remember, and they were going berserk. They, I don't know what they were doing, kicking, screaming, rolling around. Nothing much has really changed these days, but... They were going berserk, and you could literally watch... It was almost like someone was fighting in this little space, you know, all of a sudden, hands and feet and all the bits and pieces, and it was, it was actually quite wild. I think it was the, um, even though consciously you understand that there was a child in that belly, it all of a sudden became very, very real. Because now you can, you can see this thing moving. Um, this, depending on what movies, alien growing, right? So in this point in time, Elizabeth has come to Mary and the baby leaps, jumps in her belly. It's an understanding that at this point in time, John received the Holy Spirit. But you can understand that John the Baptist's conception was a miracle in itself because Elizabeth was barren. And if you understand the fullness of the story, Elizabeth's husband is actually the, he's a priest. And he goes in to do his duties into the, into the tabernacle. And as he's in there, God gives him a, a vision. And he speaks to him. And he says, you're going to have a son. And then I'm going to take your voice away from you until the day of his birth. John comes out. And he can't speak. And everyone is a little bit 
gobsmacked in what is transpiring here. And it's not until John the Baptist is born that his father actually speaks and says, his name shall be John. Now in those days, culturally, you would name your children after relatives. It was odd to take another name that was not actually already in your family line and give it to your child. So when John's father called him, his name shall be John, they were a bit complex because there was not a John in the lineage of John the Baptist. We soon read that as John grows and as he matures, he leaves home and trundles out into the wilderness. The Bible gives a description of John the Baptist that he is clothed with camel fur or camel skin, with a belt around his waist, and that he eats honey and locust. Some people have come to the concept of maybe trying to soften it, that the locusts were fruit. I don't think that. I think the locusts were actually locusts. And there was a reason why he ate honey with locusts, because you would take the locust and dip it in honey to make it taste any good. But the pivotal point is that John is now in the wilderness. And the wilderness is often described as a place of barrenness. And if you've ever been to Israel, I haven't been there yet, but I know Russell and Jenny have been, it's pretty much a desert. It's pretty a wild place. And Israel have got some are very smart. There is a blessing that is actually over Israel that will continue because when God does something, it doesn't go, oh, it's only until. It's forever. God blessed Israel. Israel, in the middle of a desert, produced water. They produce so much water, they sell it to Syria. That in the middle of a desert, they have found a way, through desalination plants, to produce enough water, not just for Israel, but for also for their neighbouring enemies. Israel is surrounded by its enemies, and they all want Israel. Why? Because it is blessed. They grow vineyards in the middle of a desert. John the Baptist, clothed in camel skin, right? Not the latest Versace. Camel fur. Camel skin, right? And the only way to get camel skin was the camel had to die. And he's got a leather belt that holds it all together, right? It's not sewn together. It's just this bit of fur or this bit of skin that he's draped over himself, right? And we're all very thankful for that he's actually found something to drape over himself. But it's a sign of his humility, straight up. He's living in a place of desert and a place of wilderness, eating, eating locusts dipped in honey, right? And the honey didn't come in a box. It didn't come from a store. It came from the hive. And if you got honey, it means you also got stung. I can just imagine John running through the wilderness trying to catch locusts. Not because they're eating his plants, but because that's his dinner. John the Baptist lives in a place of wilderness. 
His first encounter with the Holy Spirit is where he leaped inside his mother's womb. When he had an encounter with the living Christ. But his whole time, he is preaching the message of repentance. He's described in the book of Isaiah as the one who goes before the Messiah to prepare the way for him. And he is proclaiming, there is another one coming, whose shoes that I am unfit to tie. And if you understand that concept, right? Not shoes, it's actually sandals, but if you understand that concept, your shoes, your sandals, right? You would walk through the streets. And so would the camels and the donkeys. And if you're lucky enough to have a horse, right? And those animals, they do their droppings wherever they feel like it. So if you're walking through the streets of Israel back in the days, you're walking through whatever was on the ground. Through the dust, your feet were dirty. That's why it's so significant when Jesus actually got down and washed his disciples' feet. Actually, culturally speaking, when you went to a visitor's house, one of the first things they got you to do was to wash your feet. And it was their role. They would provide some water, they would provide a a a towel, that you would wash your feet and dry them before you went any further into the house. And here's John talking that there is another one coming, the Messiah is coming, whose sandals I am unfit to untie. His sandals I am unfit to do up. Meaning he is unfit to come into my house. This is who he is. He is the Messiah, the living king. The promised one spoke about Isaiah, prophesied before the beginning of time that would come to redeem all of Israel. And here's John, proclaiming in the wilderness, living off the locust, living off the honey, just to get them down the throat. Because if you ever looked at locusts, they have these little barbs on their legs, right? So it would have been just to try and get it down a little bit further. Living in a place of humidity, living in a place of wilderness, right? And your wilderness, we all have wilderness experiences, because your wilderness is your hard time. Your wilderness is your challenge, it's your desert place. And so whenever what happens, we all go through a wilderness experience. The children of Israel, which are the Hebrews, went through a wilderness experience after they came out of Egypt, before they went into the promised land. Jesus went through a wilderness experience after he was baptized by John the Baptist, where he spent 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness where the devil tempted him before he launched into his public ministry. Your wilderness experience is a great time. It is a time when you get to choose how you receive it or perceive it. You can receive it or perceive it in a time of negativity or you can see it as a time of growth. But we all go through them. It's not like God says, okay, uh, you get one and you don't. We all go through our challenges. We all go through our wilderness experiences. It's simply put this, you're either about to go through one, you're either in one, 
or you've just come from one. But your wilderness experience is a place of dryness, right? Sometimes it happens to Christians where it doesn't matter what happens in our lives, we can't seem to feel the presence of God. And what it is, it's, it's, so it's trying to build in you hunger to get a little bit deeper. See, God doesn't want to keep you at the same level you're at. He's like, I want you to grow. I want you to expand. And if you stay at one level, you don't have much growth. If you look at the way a plant grows, as soon as you take a plant, maybe you bought one from Bunnings, and you take it out of the pot and you put it in the ground, there's a process. You might get some growth initially, but whatever growth you get initially is only from the growth from the pot that plant was actually in. It's not until the plant actually begins to grow its roots out further than its original place that it actually gets more from where it is. Actually, that plant won't actually grow any bigger until it does. And one of the things that plant actually has to do is it has to drive its taproot down. And its taproot is this one single root that's supposed to go down until it finds a sure foundation. It's where, in the middle of a drought, the tree's still alive. It's because the taproot has gone really deep. And the more dry periods that tree goes through, the deeper the taproot goes down. That's why it's actually so amazing. Well, you can sit there and you can look out in the wilderness. Well, I was out at Ripley yesterday. And you can see that it's dry. Sometimes you sit there and say, man, you just light a match. And the whole place goes, woof. But you can see trees that are so green. And it's because they've got this root, it's called a tap root, and it's gone straight down. And it's gone looking for a source of, of nutrients. It's gone looking for a source of water because it knows that there is going to be a time when it's going to be dry, when there is no, going to be no surface water. And the only way that that tree is going to survive is if it puts down a tap root. And it puts down that tap root deep, deep, deep. Good luck trying to remove that tree when it's gone through lots of wilderness experiences. I had a privilege. I was working at a school at one point in time, putting myself through Bible college. And we were trying to remove this tree. We had our forklift... Oh, sorry, not forklift. We had a bobcat driver and his excavator. And he was using both machines to dig around and to wedge the tree and trying to break it, right? He had dug a tunnel, like a tunnel, like a moat almost, around the tree, the trench, and it had gone down about two, three feet, trying to break up all the roots with his excavators, right? And then he was wedging the tree. The tree was about 45 degrees, right? Now, normally at this point in time, the tree gives up and breaks. But the tap root on this tree... Right. This is a little bit uncommon because the tree was only probably 20 to 30 feet high. But the taproot on this tree would have been good circumference of about 20 centimetres. This tree had stuck its taproot so deep and so strong, you could tell that it had gone through some wilderness experiences 
the lack of rain. And even trying to push that tree over with all the mechanical units of, of using a, a bobcat and then he'd change over into the excavator and wedge the tree a little bit further then jump back in the bobcat and wedge it over. It was quite a feat to watch out. That tree did not want to budge. Because that tree had learned that in my dry periods, in my wilderness periods, I need to get deep. Because that's my source of nutrients. The whole experience that John the Baptist was going through, preaching in the midst of the wilderness, was trying to get people to understand that it is a time we need to go deep. There is one who is coming, who is prophesied, who will come, and he is so great that we are unfit to untie his sandals. John the Baptist soon got to baptize that man. And in the midst of him, he would preach the gospel and preach to all the people he could. Some of them would get baptized, some of them would make fun of him. Some of them looked upon him and said, Ah, oh, he's a nobody. He's just wearing camel fur. Maybe he had, because it was culturally acceptable to have a beard, right? Maybe he had a couple of locust feet and legs in, stuck in his beard. Maybe he had a bit of honey stuck in there as well. So he, he didn't look the part. He didn't look attractive, right? Maybe he, because he'd been in the wilderness, he smelled a little bit. But if you look at him, first of all, you turned away from him. If you only judge John the Baptist on what he looked like, what you could see, how you could perceive him, you would have discarded him. And see, that's exactly what happened to the Messiah, to Jesus. When Jesus came, the Jews had a perception that he was a king and that he would come as a king. They had a perception or their misunderstanding of what the scriptures talked about. He was going to come and he was going to rid them of the Romans and bring in a new kingdom. But because of their misunderstanding or their, mis uh, or their perception, they misunderstood that he brought in a new kingdom, that he came in as a king, just not a king of this world. And so they missed him. They missed the opportunity that was presented to them as the king of kings. If you only see or if you only receive based upon your sight, you will quite often miss what God wants to do. God does not like to use formulas and he does not like to use the ways of the world. God loves nothing better to throw a curveball, to throw something unexpected. Because that was what John the Baptist was. John the Baptist was the curveball. The Jews had a perception. They had a perception that the Messiah was going to come a certain way, 
And even though the John the Baptist was prophesied about, the one who would prepare his way was going to be equally like the Messiah. But God threw a curveball. And he brought in someone who didn't look the part. But he spoke the part. He had the part. Too often, we can look at things based upon our understanding or our perception of what the world deems as acceptable. We base our concept of this is what the church is supposed to be. This is what Jesus is supposed to be. This is what we're supposed to be doing. This is what we're supposed to look like. This is what our house is supposed to look like. And Jesus is saying, nope. Coming into Christmas time, now I, I hate to break it to anyone who might have a misconception, but Jesus was not actually born on the 25th of December. Okay? I know, Chris is just, yes, I know. Yeah, I know. It's craziness. But this is a time that we actually celebrate Jesus' birth. We know that this is not the season that Jesus was born in because in Israel right now, or coming into it, it's called winter. Winter was not a time that the shepherds were out in the fields. It would have been cold. If you didn't know, Israel gets snow. Okay? It gets really cold in Israel. Okay? So we know that this is not actually the season that Jesus was born in. The 25th is not actually his birthday, but it is a time that we celebrate his birth. It's time that we spend, we put aside and we say, you know what, this is the time that he came for all mankind. So you can get caught up on being religious and saying, oh my gosh, it's, it's got to be his birthday or whatever. I've talked to people and, and, and you know, there's some people who don't celebrate it because it's not Jesus' birthday. I'm like, okay, whatever. Um, but it's a time that culturally in the world that we get an opportunity to share the gospel with those people around us. Now unfortunately what happens is because of perception, it's not often received. Oh, I don't need that now. Jesus, oh, God will have grace on me. God, isn't God a God of love? Then why would he allow anyone to go to hell? I don't know if you've ever heard these crack-up lines. They're awesome. Okay? But here's the thing. Whenever we go through a wilderness experience, we get the option to be the voice in the wilderness that proclaims the message of Jesus or we can be the voice in the wilderness complaining about our wilderness instead of looking at it as, as a time to understand that it is before it is a time of when God is stretching us when God is drawing us closer or draw, God is simply getting us to dig that little bit deeper. Simply comes down to how you choose. I remember when I had my accident. Everybody has advice. Uh, 
And they all see, it all seems to come from someone who's never actually gone through anything. Ever, ever come that? Like, you know, you never take birth advice from someone who's never gone through birth. Okay? Don't take birth advice from me. <laughs> but when I went through my accident, everyone's, everyone, I had a lot of people giving me advice. And it, it wasn't until you know, God really spoke to me about certain things. Right? And I began to understand my journey. And I began to understand what it was. My wilderness. And that I had an option. That I could look at, woe well, is me. I could proclaim, oh, it's so bad for me. Right? That's not negating what you're going through. I just want to understand. That's not taking away the journey. Right? But I had an option. I could stand and look at me and go, oh, it's not fair. Da, 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 da. We've all had those lines, right? Or I can sit there and go, you know what? There's purpose in this. I may not understand it all, but there's purpose in it. And I can choose to proclaim a message of, oh, well, with me, it's all bad. Or I can choose to proclaim, you know what? He's still on the throne. He's still God. And it doesn't matter if I get my miracle today, tomorrow, next week, 10 years from now, 10, 20 years from now. On my deathbed, he's still God. He's still on the throne. But it's important that as, as believers that we learn to proclaim the message of the Messiah. That he claim, came to bring hope and goodwill to all mankind. And it doesn't matter whether you're in a wilderness, clothed in camel's fur, wrapped around the leather belt, eating locusts that are dipped in honey just to get them down their throat. Or whether you're in a palace, getting grapes hand-fed to you, drinking out of goblets made from gold, silver or bronze or whatever. We all have wilderness experiences. And we all get the option in each and every single one of those to proclaim the message of the coming Messiah of what he came to bring. Hope, goodwill, grace, and mercy. That doesn't mean that God automatically takes you out of your wilderness experience and goes, ta-da! It just means dig a little deeper. Get that taproot in that little bit further because God is building you and strengthening you for what is about to happen. We planted some... Uh, we call them. some trees in our front yard. And I had this bit of advice from somebody. And this person said, don't water them a lot. Remember that, Chris? Because if you water them a lot, they grow fast. If you don't water a lot, their roots grow fast. And it simply comes down to which one do you want? A pretty tree or a strong tree? Right? Is, that, is that pretty much what you're talking about, Chris? Oh, it wasn't you. Okay. It was that other Chris, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Simply that. 
Simple as that. We all go through wilderness experience. We all go through difficult times. We all go through challenges. And it's not God saying, you have done wrong. It's not God saying, oh, you're not good enough. It's God saying, let's make you a little bit stronger. Let's give you an opportunity. Because that's what it is. It's an opportunity. And you can look at it as an as a opportunity or you can look at it as, oh, it's a negative. You know? If you need support going through your wilderness experience, that's what the church is for. If you need prayer because you're feeling a little down. See, you don't have to play this um, super martyr thing where, you know, you don't feel bad or you don't struggle or you don't get feel tempted or you don't feel depressed or anxiety or any of those things, right? Because that's just not true. Whenever you go through your wooden experience, you always start questioning certain things. You'll ask those questions, oh, it's not fair. Why me? What did I do? What did I do deserve this? But that's why we're here. As a church, we come alongside you and say, it's all right, champ. I got your back. I'll stand in prayer with you as we walk through this wilderness experience together. Or maybe it's not me you want to come and talk to. Maybe it's someone else. You get to stand beside someone and walk through them. You get to talk to someone, share your thoughts. Maybe you need someone just to, to, to vent to. Right? Maybe you need some encouragement of what someone else can say to you. Or maybe you can go to someone where they have... They've gone through a challenging time and you just need a bit of advice. Or maybe you just need someone to listen. I don't know, whatever it is. But you're not supposed to go through things by yourself. You're not made to be alone. You're made to walk with people. That's why we're so relational. Right? That's why we're built a certain way. That's why we need connections. That's why we need friends, relatives, family. That's why God created families. Just to prove a point that you're not by yourself and you're not supposed to be. And even if you feel lonely, there's always someone on the other end of the phone. Right? Love, hate, technology, it's, it's there. And if you use it wisely, it's, it's a great tool. Maybe you can't get me on the phone, but maybe you can get Brad. If you want his number, I can give it to you. Right? <laughs> we'll post it all over Facebook. Right? But it's connection. John the Baptist was a forerunner for Jesus. He was a forerunner, not just for the person of Jesus, but for everything Jesus was going to do. There was always someone proclaiming in the wilderness about the, good, about the negative things. But we are actually called and empowered to proclaim the good things in the midst of a wilderness experience. We get the opportunity to take up our tithes and offerings this morning. We get the opportunity that if you want to, you can give, by, you can give to our hamper appeal if, it's, if cash is easier. Uh, we have a trolley in Coles and maybe you want to, to buy something and stick in the trolley if that's easiest for you. But we have a great opportunity that we are surrounded, literally surrounded by a whole bunch of people in our community. And most of them are all proclaiming a message 
of hopelessness in their wilderness experiences. But we have the ability to proclaim a message of hope in this season, a message of hope in the wilderness. That's why we open up these opportunities to give by hand, is to, to allow you a chance to sow into your communities. We give, or we, should, we receive tithes and offerings because it's an opportunity to proclaim a message of hope even in your wilderness experience of finances. To say, hey, I know God's got my back. I know God's got it. I know there's hope. I know God can come through. And by giving, you are defying what is actually happening around you. Sometimes we just need to close our eyes and listen. Maybe it's close your eyes and stop speaking so you can listen. But we need to sometimes put aside our senses or our perception of what we can understand and start looking at what God is doing regardless of the situation. Previously, before the John the Baptist spoke, before John the Baptist came proclaiming a message of the Messiah, or the coming Messiah, it's called an intertestimonial time. It's the time between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And there were 400 years of silence. 400 years of silence. Not 400 days, not 40 days. 400 years of silence between God and man. That wasn't because God wasn't speaking. It's because man wasn't listening. And then God brought forth one man to prepare the way for the coming Messiah, the promise. Because we can get so caught up in our own perception of what is taking place. We can get so caught up in religion, rules and regulations. We can get so caught up in our own wilderness experiences that we forget just, I've got to block off certain things. And I've got to listen again. I've got to hear the voice of God calling out in the wilderness. What do you want to do? The world is a very, very loud place. Very loud place. But throughout the Bible, God often speaks in whispers. And until we remove the loudness and begin to listen to the whispers, we won't hear what he wants to do, what he wants to say. It's simply going to come down to whether or not we can remove our perception and make way for what he wants to do. So if you need a credit card, uh, if you want to give by credit card, uh, we have envelopes both ways, right? And on the envelope, on the back of the envelope, is all different ways. You can give by direct deposit, uh, you can give it by envelope. You can write credit card details on the actual envelope. You can put cash in the envelope any way you so wish. Whatever's easiest for you. We're going to take over tithes and offerings if you want to pass the buckets around. If you need an envelope, we have envelopes.
But as we come into Christmas, uh, this can be a time when it can become stressful, right? Or you can begin to understand that this is a great, great time. This is a time where we get to, to think about, to reflect upon the greatest gift that was ever given to mankind that is presented completely and utterly free with no strings attached besides he wants you. And all you have to do is say yes. It's not complicated. The thief on the cross got seconds. He just wants you solely and wholly. He just wants you. And he doesn't care. He honestly does not care if you're wrapped up in camel's fur. He doesn't care if you're wearing Versace. He doesn't care whether you're in the middle or maybe you're at the other end. He doesn't care whether you're a king or a pauper. He doesn't care if you're a beggar. He doesn't care if you're lame. He doesn't care because that's irrelevant. Because when he looks at you, he doesn't look at your perception of yourself. He looks at you based upon how he saw you. And how he saw you was how he made you. And how he made you was in his image and according to his likeness. And when he looked upon you, he said, oh, they are very good. And God does not make junk. God doesn't go, oh, I've got some leftovers. Let's make a brag. Sorry, you sit in front of eyes. <laughs> no, he went, you know what? I want my top shelf. Top shelf. And I'll pull my top shelf stuff in there. I'll put my good stuff. Because God doesn't make junk. But if you listen to the perception of the world, you're based or you're, your worth is only based upon how they choose to give you or choose to tell you what you're worth. But that's not how it works in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is backwards to the way of the world. The way of the world is you want more money, you keep more. The kingdom is you give more. The way of the world is you be cruel and ruthless. The way of the kingdom is you offer your other cheek. The way of the world is there's a certain level of wisdom that you do this, this, and this, and this. The way of the kingdom is listen, I'll give you the plan. I'll give you the direction. Because it simply comes down to relationship. That's what it is. The, the world looks at what we're doing with religion and laughs. God says, I just want you. Any way I can get you. This Christmas, as we come into Christmas, depending on what your Christmas looks like, maybe it's busy with family activities and work parties and, and this or that. Don't take for granted what is actually just before you. 
your family, your relationship with your Heavenly Father, the greatest gift that came to this earth, Jesus, the Holy Spirit. Don't take for granted what is actually just before you. Let's pray. Father, I know that you love each and every one of us. And regardless of what we've been through, regardless of what we're going through, that doesn't take away our worth. It doesn't take away your love for us. It doesn't take away how much you want us. Father, regardless of what state we're in, you love us. Father, we lift up those people around unwell at the moment. And we just speak life upon each and every one of them. Father, I ask that you would implant in us the right seeds. Seeds of hope. And the courage to stand. And even in our wilderness experiences, you would guide us and direct us to drive that taproot deeper. Deeper in you. Because you're our source. Let's not grow weary of doing good. But Father, we just speak blessings and favour upon each and every one of us. That we would know you greater. And during this season, or whatever season we're in, we would proclaim a message of hope. Even when it seems hopeless. Father, we speak your hand upon each one of us, your guidance and your strength. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.